0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is LIVES, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business and more. guest today is Sarah Martin, the CEO of the Wellness Council of America. Our conversation today is being recorded by Zoom. Today is a special New Year show, although the conversation will be relevant still at any time of the year if you're listening to the podcast. With the COVID pandemic having affected all of our lives, Sarah and I will be talking about what we could be thinking about for our personal and professional well-being in the year ahead. Sarah Martin is the CEO of the Wellness Council of America, commonly called WellCoA. Her purpose is helping people fulfill their highest potential in work and life through corporate health promotion. She has launched award-winning wellness programs, created new wellness products, and engineered work environments to create cultures of health across multiple industries. Sarah has been a session and keynote speaker at a variety of community and national events, including National Health Enhancement Research Organization Conference, the Art and Science of Health Promotion Conference, and the National Well Coer Summit. She sits on the John Hopkins Mental Health in the Workplace Advisory Council and the CDC Workplace Health Resource Center Steering Committee. She received her degree in psychology from the University of Alabama in Huntsville and a Master's in Industrial Organizational Psychology from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having
0: me, Stuart. So this will air in the new year period although listeners may be tuning in at other times of year, but the first airing of this show will be during the New Year period. I was talking to you off air and saying that I'm not really a New Year resolution person, but I wonder what your thoughts are about resolutions or some kind of reflection and planning on a year ahead of us.
1: I always feel the compulsion to reflect. I very rarely feel any compulsion to set a new year's resolution for myself. I think it's because of this there's an Octavia Butler quote that I pulled up for this conversation specifically it says there is no end to what a living world will demand of you and it feels artificial to me to punctuate my goal setting with a new year when i have no idea what the world is going to put in front of me to solve from day to day. Uh, I do really love reflecting and and writing and intention setting. And I do have a list of intentions that I've been sitting with for some time. But if I were to label myself, which I don't necessarily want to do, but if I were to label myself, I would label myself a not New Year's resolution person.
0: Did you make any intentions, shall I say, in um, the New Year period of
1: 2020? I did. I did. I did. Not not in quite not in alignment with the new year, but shortly after, I started working with a friend who helped me come up with these also. And so the two that I've sat with are one, be more honest about myself, because honesty about myself unlocks honesty in other people. And this was something actually made up my mind, Stuart, that unlike many podcasts that I have been a part of. I'm going to speak freely and probably not share this one with my family of origin. So I'm going to say (laughs) that uh, a lot of that was so that I could clean up some relationships with my family um, by bringing more of my whole self into those relationships so that hopefully it would free them to be their whole selves. I can honestly say that was a tragic failure. (laughs) So (laughs) it didn't work the way we, that I intended Uh, However, the honesty is something that I'm still committed to. It just didn't have the impact that I hoped for. The second one is having an impact and it is establish and maintain more grounded being. I found myself showing up to, especially coming out of the pandemic and having forgotten, like so many of us did, how to be with people at all effectively without being a super weirdo. I found myself more than I ever have before, but I think I always have done this showing up to a conversation immediately being burdened with this idea that I need to bring value, like immediately, like I need to demonstrate why I'm allowed to be in this group. So for me, woo is one of my top five on the Gallup Finder. So I would just have a regaling anecdote, you know, or you know, tell a joke, tell a funny story, or just be a little over the top, and uh, that works. But over time, I was finding myself feeling like it was deteriorating my self worth and concept. So I practiced showing up and doing nothing. Like, what if I believed that my just being, like my my just being grounded in this space, was the worth that I needed to bring. And also, what would that unlock for others? Maybe the ability for them to bring more of themselves in. So I've really enjoyed learning that I don't have to deliver anything in particular to be in community with people. So that one is I highly recommend. I also highly recommend honesty, uh, but just don't be shocked if it does not resolve old patterns that have lasted for decades in your family.
0: It's great that you mentioned two things there. None of these, as it were, intentions about who you are in your life ahead were focused on cliched versions of resolutions like, you know, I must lose weight. I must be um, more disciplined or whatever, whatever those practices are. So they're actually really internal, intrinsic efforts about who you are. And you also suggested it was a reflective process for you to arrive at those two um, those two intentions, and that you enlisted someone else's help. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind speaking just a little bit. So I'm thinking about what can I learn from you as I think about the next couple of weeks. You and I are chatting before Christmas. This show will air just around the new year period. So I'm thinking, what can I learn from you about how I might think about this reflective practice as I think about the year ahead?
1: One of the things that we, and this is a lot in part to do with what I do for work, working for the Wellness Council of America, we have a belief that well-being is not something that we earn or achieve. It is something that always walks alongside us and is available to us. Our well-being is that um, is something that we always have access to. And that no one else can really, maybe no no one else has to necessarily understand it and goal setting around it typically is exactly what you said. Like, if you think that you have to earn well-being, you're always chasing something. If you know that your well-being is with you, then it's just about figuring out how to optimize who you already are. How do I become the person I already am? And so that's just to address that part of your question. That's really important for for WellCoA for how we talk about how organizations should unlock well-being for their people. I would be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, And then I found someone who not only was a dear friend of mine and knew me very well to help me walk this out, uh, but and who shared some of those beliefs about well-being that I have. Um, but she also does this for a living. So it happens to be that I have a friend who does this kind of coaching. So I lucked out that way. And we, she let me just kind of auditorily process, like she, there were two or three questions, um, but most of them were, how do I want to be in this moment? How do I want to feel in this moment? Um, and I think there was a question about experience or living larger And we had a lot of conversations about what those barriers were really like, what's keeping me from being that thing that I am, you know, one of the things I even told her about was like pain in my body. Like, how can I get less pain in my body so that I can move more freely so that I can feel more big in the world, you know, because I know what that feels like. I just have these things stacked on top of me. that are keeping me locked out of that. So those were helpful prompt questions. If that helps.
2: I got nothing to worry by my side mm-hmm. I got nothing to worry about when you're by my side oh, I looked to Felt the weight of it all come down A brace from the deafening sound
0: Before we sort of talk a bit more about some of your thoughts about personal well-being, maybe setting the same, what is WellCoA?
1: So we are a nonprofit. We've been around almost 40 years. And our mission has been to advance the health and well-being of all working Americans. And because of how old we are, we have seen what well-being is Quote unquote, uh, be defined so many different ways. We predate this medicalized model where organizations thought, well, I'm seeing these double digit year over year increases in my healthcare dollar spending. We just need people to be more well so that they cost less to insure. And that has a lot of face validity. And we stood up a whole industry around that about 15 years ago. And we were. We had 15 years of best practice under us when that happened. And in some ways, that amplified our success and our brand. We have a very strong brand today, and that's a piece of that story. But that was never really why we got into this business. We believed that there is a health crisis, a well being crisis. We believe that work is part of the problem. And we believe that because Americans spend 90,000 hours of our lives at work, that the workplace is a really great place to start. That's the critical mass of people. Uh, you know, you have their attention, they're giving their lives to this work. Why not address well-being in that environment? What would it look like if everyone knew when they showed up to work? They had access to a healthy meal, a place to safely exercise, uh, you know, without fear of, you know, there's so many neighborhoods that. That's not true. What if work could be that for people, or that their employer just cared about their health? What if it felt? What if you knew when you came into work, and I I shouldn't even say walked in anymore because obviously that's not the reality. When you when you show up in whatever way that is, literally, virtually, that your employer cares about your well being. You know what would that solve for people? And so we work with five thousand member organizations, and we have another thirty thousand or so organizations who engage with our free resources and get our newsletter and that sort of thing. And what we do for them, we work directly with the person who's responsible for the well-being strategy in the organization. And we train them, we give them resources, we bring them into community with each other. Uh, We help provide them with agency to make, these are hard things to try to achieve um, and and get buy-in for at the leadership level of the organizations. And we give them that, not just the knowledge and skills, but the agency through the community that they're a part of, that this is the right thing to do. And they're doing the right things to get it done. And that's really powerful. So um, it's pretty exciting work. We have so many opportunities through the pandemic to continue to redefine what well being is for people and what the value of a well employee is for people. We've been excited to see people ask more beautiful questions post-pandemic about this.
0: I love that the pandemic has enabled an environment, a scenario where beautiful questions can be surfaced. But before I let you talk about beautiful questions, um, what were the horrible questions pre-pandemic? Uh, and maybe a different way to say that is, um, what was the wellness industry? What were organizations involved in providing well-being? What were they doing well before the pandemic? And what was just going horribly wrong?
1: there's so many bad questions <laughs> before the pandemic and because of the, the wellness boom you know that made this industry what it is now there was this belief that and it's still pervasive that people don't want to be well and that's not and that's why they're not well and all we need to do is first tell them why their well-being is valuable and then Tell them what needs to be done to achieve that well being. In that world, we might say what percentage of our population is obese and what behaviors are they engaging in that's perpetuating that statistic? How many steps a day are they walking? Can we track that? How much do you have to pay someone to get them to walk more? How much do you have to charge someone to get them to address their cholesterol? It's wild to me because what that created was the only industry I can think of where you have to pay people to consume what we're selling. Like we are incentivizing people on average of $600, $700 a year to engage in some list of health behaviors that an organization is setting. Talk about not just you setting targets for yourself, not always being effective, your organization setting blanket targets for you. And then penalizing you for not hitting them instead of realizing that everyone wants to be well but humanity is very messy and there are many factors that stand in the way of living a more well life like if you hate your boss and you hate your job you're caring for an aging parent you're caring for a child with special needs or any child for that matter caregiving in general you're having money problems your sex life sucks Any one of those things, if you come to an employee dealing with one of those things and say, you know, we can help you, we have this wellness program, but what we're going to do is we're going to break your finger and then we're going to, and we're going to draw your blood. We're going to ask you to complete a health risk assessment. And then we're going to tell you that you have hypertension, borderline high cholesterol and risky alcohol behaviors. And then we're going to give you a $200 gift card to target. Like in what world is that effective? At actually resolving what sits underneath our lack of well being. It's pretending that it's simple. When, and it is simple. It's simple in that employees who have what they need and are cared for, when you get your needs met, you can be well. If you're not getting your needs met, you cannot be well. It's like that Maya Angelou quote about courage without courage, it's impossible to practice any other value with consistency. If you don't have your needs met, it's impossible to practice well be- things that amplify your well-being beyond whatever that Maslow hierarchy of need barrier is that you're at.
0: So that takes us headfirst into the wall of the pandemic and all of our best intentions, both personally and organizationally around well-being, crashed into that at the beginning of 2020. And so from your perspective as a practitioner and an expert in the field, how has the pandemic revealed a different conversation about our well-being needs and opportunities from an organizational context, but also from a personal context too.
1: At the onset from an organizational context, it forced leaders to recognize what's been true the entire time. Their success is predicated on the vulnerable humans that work for them, just The animal sense of like physical safety is vulnerable and is something that has to be protected. During this time where we were all so worried about our long-term viability on the planet and our health as humans, it forced that, wow, the people that I've been talking about as if they were resources are actually animals, humans with real barriers to well-being, real risks to well-being that I have to now address to continue functioning as an organization. So I think that was the very beginning. It was just like snap, shift in perspective. From an organizational perspective as well, as we moved through it and the concern changed from what well, never really went away in terms of physical safety, but as the long-term uncertainty and volatility and Um, very difficult working environments for people in their homes trying to deal with work and family and children in the homes and virtual schooling and all the things we all know about. Organizations started noticing to the tune of about 40% of their employees exhibiting some pretty serious signs of burnout. And when you have 40% of your population burnt out, that looks like some incivility work that looks like lower productivity that looks like a lot of anxiety and depression, missed work. So all of a sudden now here's something else that's not my cholesterol that I need that, or, some, or something more medicalized and traditional that we were thinking about that was a problem before. We're not thinking about that at all anymore. We're just like, wow, is there a wave of mental health pandemic that's coming in after this this uh, the pandemic that we're, that we're experiencing now? And so that shifted the conversation again. And then the third wave of the conversation shift at the organization level has been through the great resignation, where now they're like, okay, employees have an intent to quit at unprecedented rates. What is that? And at first, it was very transactional. They're like, okay, we probably just need to be more competitive with compensation or benefits packages. And then McKinsey had that article where they actually asked people who were intending to quit why. And the two reasons were one, I don't think that my boss appreciates me or values what I do here. And two, I don't think my organization appreciates me and values what I do here. I don't feel seen. And so once again, we are forced to realize that we are dealing with people who have feelings and those feelings in order for us to do our jobs well, have to be considered And then the solves, the very real solves that are being asked of organizations have to be implemented unless they want to find themselves in a situation where they can only employ people who don't have any other option, which I doubt is the case that the situation that most employers want to be in.
0: WellCoA, like every other organization, has had to pivot and shift. I'm wondering, what were the sort of key messages or or support opportunities that WellCoA was providing or seeing in organizations during the pandemic? How did that pivot? And and I want to use that as a springboard into 2022. Insofar as the organization, WellCoA, has intentions and resolutions, what is it intending for the year ahead?
1: Your first question about how we reacted and how we responded and what the key messages were, we first started out by putting out massive toolkits with communications, strategies, messaging around just things like, how do you support a parent who's working with kids in the home? How do you have conversations about, how do you have transparent conversations when you don't know what to do next? Skills of vulnerability in leadership, compassionate leadership, how to have a compassionate conversation, job expectations. If you've been a butts in seats culture, that doesn't work. How do you shift gracefully into a performance-based culture where you're allowing freedom, flexibility, setting targets, and then having really good conversations with employees about adjusting expectations if They're just not able to rise because of all of the other barriers that we're up against right now. So just very simple solves. We're like, our members are HR professionals, wellness professionals, who were the command and control center for this thing. And just like, what do they need? Just get it out. Then um, we also, one of our key messages was around, be careful what our solve is going to be for for burnout. Because the answer looks like, oh, we'll just help employees be more resilient. The answer to burnout is resilience. And people were doing all these resilience challenges and we were like, wait, wait, wait. If we want to ask a more beautiful question, it's not how can I make my employees more resilient so they can stop taking punches, which is our mutual colleague, Jason Luritson's language. So I have to give him credit for that. But how do we identify what those punches are and actually try to keep them from coming? which is probably more about compassion than making employees resilient to what happens next. Resilience comes later. Resilience is after we've moved through this thing. We can celebrate together about how we've achieved and what we've achieved. And so that's that. that was the other big message. We dedicated our entire year this year to the idea of resilience because we didn't want people to get it wrong. We didn't want it to turn into the new Broccoli and walking challenge that our industry is famous for.
0: We're not through a pandemic yet. That being said, how has your thinking shifted for what needs to be a focus for these beautiful questions? You know, as we think about planning for the year ahead?
1: Yeah. So we've been talking about, and I've actually am working on a blog post right now to announce our 2022 theme. And the thoughts that are going into that are, we're thinking a lot about creating systems that help us really understand the people we work for. And then uh, conversely, the people who work for us. We are talking a lot about the new power of leadership being skills for empathy and compassion and creating psychological safety, transparency and trust because HR, human resources was, was really an organization stood up to manage people risk. What happens when you get a bunch of messy people together? That's terrifying. It presents a lot of risk. And the best possible thing that we can do as HR professionals is manage that risk by pulling that messiness out and setting the expectation that that messiness needs to sit outside of work. And that's what we've done. And that's how we land with the power of leadership being about being decisive and being right and being bold and being direct. Where that's landed us is in this place where people no longer are very interested in showing up to environments that are constantly trying to manage their messiness and keep them from engaging in their messiness and are really looking for environments that allow them to be full, allow for that. And so that requires organizations to, and leaders to have very different skills. So we, we're being pretty bold in our language around that need as a solve for the kinds of things that we're seeing. And then the other thing is that for 2022, our theme is actually going to be psychological safety, safety in general, trust, and in some regard, equity. It all goes together. Um, We have to get clear that society right now has some brokenness in it. There are inequities that prevent people from accessing basic needs for well-being, And we kind of got to this point where we were like, are we asking employees for things that are way too lofty uh, before, like, like flourish, uh, be well, um, bring your whole self to work? When we haven't solved problems like pay equity, health inequity based on socioeconomic status, gender, gender identity, uh, race, ethnicity, this general access should be the right of all people. Dignity and respect should be the right of all people. And so we're bringing the whole thing down a minute and saying, what if we spent an entire year focusing on achieving dignity and respect and access across the board? And that was your well-being initiative. If you focus on what are the inequities amongst my employees and the way they experience their work in their lives, what are the barriers that my employees are experiencing to, um, living their most well life according to the goals they have for themselves. Um and and what are the big gaps that we are putting into them? I mean what are we boxing people out of with our pay structures and benefits and all of those things focusing on that and making that focus the program for well-being. That prioritization becomes the program. So that's how we're talking about well-being in 2022 and we're really excited we've been putting together a cool calendar of events and conversations round out.
0: your childhood like
1: Hmm. yeah I so in some ways so southern it was very southern uh it was matriarchal I was raised by a mother a grandmother and like four aunts and I did have a dad uh there was a nuclear family that I was a part of you know I, I always say like my my even my first experience with understanding well-being and understanding work actually came from watching my dad navigate work and navigate his depression. He really struggled with alcoholism and he struggled with cocaine use, eighties and nineties. I mean, he was working at a company that built computers early on. And so it was just omnipresent. And for someone like my dad who had always had struggled with a sense of purpose in his life to be in a situation where work not just perpetuated his alcohol, tobacco, other drug use, but also was toxic and had a lot of scapegoating and had a lot of um, definitely overwork. And I just watched his life deteriorate because of work. And I watched his battle with depression, he ultimately um, went uh, because of his drinking behaviors ended up driving his car through someone's living room one night and um, had already lost his family to his drinking and then lost his freedom and his job as well. And I just watched the way that work perpetuated that. And I feel like as beautiful as my childhood was, um, In so many ways, it was gorgeous. And I'm so fortunate um, to have had um, access to all of the people who loved me and made me who I am. That experience with mental health and with work and with the way that they intersect is 100% the reason why I do the work that I do and why I care about it and why I think it's important. And it grounds me to my definition of well-being that we already talked about being bigger than a set of behaviors or goals that you set that you attain once and you're done um, or even something that anyone else can begin to understand. For my dad, the root of his lack of well-being came from the fact that he did not understand his worth. He didn't know what his purpose was and he didn't have access to some basic, the, the right to know why you're here and what you're supposed to do here. And so, any amount of coaching, goal setting would not have helped him. My wellness program that I started managing for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee when I first started working in well being would not have helped him. And it's that realization that drives a lot of the last 10 years at WALCOA and our evolution, and will continue to drive what we do next.
0: It's so interesting to me to think about how um, that then, I think, inspires you to broaden boundaries that have previously constrained the definition of well-being to be what you described earlier, broccoli, heart rate, and walking, to be something where you're using phrases like purpose and um, sense of self and wholeness. And in some ways, I think that must be terrifying for organizations and for individuals to think of well-being in those terms, but also so deeply aspirational.
1: Exactly. And that's why I think our ask of organizations and our charge at WACOA is not necessarily to figure out a strategy to help people achieve more purpose or help people be more whole or help people flourish more or any of that we're not there. We're not even close to there. It's create a strategy that doesn't box people out of those things. And then we can see what happens. What a cool thing that would be if if organizations had solved all the other problems, like people not having enough disposable income to live after they pay all their bills and, you know, not sitting all day in front of a desk and getting all a myriad of uh, musculoskeletal issues because of the work hours that you're imposing on them and not having a boss that devalues them constantly um, and boxes them out of their sense of, of self-worth. Feeling
2: in my bones, I could feel it in my face. Hands in the sky, I can feel the winds of change. Learned, and I hope I've seen enough to make something right and make up for what I lost. I was down, but things are looking up. I wanna get high on you, caught by surprise.
0: So, so now I feel silly. Um, I feel a degree of chagrin that at the top of the show I was thinking about personal and professional intentions around well-being, and I was going to ask you maybe to share what you were thinking about for for yours looking forward. And of course, I'm realizing it's really hard to invite you to share some of those thoughts when, as you're pointing out for listeners planning 2022 well-being that is predicated on not being paid the same as the person next to them or not having the same work environment that guarantees their physical safety, it renders rather absurd my thinking about it in those terms. So I, I do feel a degree of chagrin. So having that broader context stated, is there a way that we can Suggest to listeners: Here are some ways you might think about well-being for yourself in 2022.
1: Yeah, I I think asking some really basic questions about it's really really difficult to shake up the system and have agency to do that, right? So for ourselves and for and for others. So it's this taking the stance that really anything can actually change. It is not true that because we've been living this certain way for so long that we need to keep living this way. So it's what's not working anymore. And it's thinking the thing that works because so often the thing that got us here is not the thing that's going to get us to the next place. Um, so what is the thing that's been working for me for so long? That's just part of how I operate. Maybe it's a self-protective behavior that I used to build the strength I needed to build, to be in relationship with people and heal some deep trauma from my childhood. And maybe I've woken up to the fact that I feel pretty healed, but now I'm finding it difficult to engage in honest relationships with people. Something's holding me back and it's saying, is, is that still serving me? Is that still working? And then having the agency and the bravery to, to change it, if it's not. I think about even going back to the macro perspective of like the great resignation, all, of, all that is, is people seeing the same problems persist over and over and over again, and not seeing anyone do anything about it. And then just getting tired of fighting in that system, tired of advocating for themselves in a company that won't advocate for them. Um, And so they're like, I think there's a bigger, better way of living out there. Um, Another question that I think is really useful is what am I mourning the loss of as the world gets, quote unquote, back to normal? And to your point, still not there. But I think there was a lot that people engaged in where they got curious about their own creativity, uh, curious about different ways of being that we all laughed about at the time. Like, you know, I'm uh you know doing you know the 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 business on the on the top so pants on the bottom zoom you know thing all these things that we were doing that actually might have contributed positively to my feelings of well-being and what am i being asked to give up or what am i what am i actively giving away trading in for quote unquote normalcy there's actually a term for that it's it's a reverse lagger so if you For example, a lagger is someone who is presented with this need for change and just doesn't do it. A reverse lagger is someone that when presented with that need for change, they adapt and they change, but then the second that that need alleviates, they go back to the way it was before. So I think we do that sometimes too. It's like, oh, well, during the pandemic, I had this really interesting plan where I was getting up at this time I used my extra 30 minutes of commute time to engage in this meditative behavior that I really enjoyed. And then I, and here's what I learned from that and all these things. And then now I'm trading all that back in for quote unquote normalcy. So it's probably maybe for people who are New Year's resolution people, um, or even if they're not to think, you know, what worked really well I might be giving up or what's no longer working for me that I need to let go of are really good questions to tap into your well-being.
0: We've been talking about 2022. What is the conversation? What is the intention around well-being? What are the beautiful questions in 2032?
1: Do we have our basic needs met? Does everyone have the same access? To getting those needs met so is there equity in that are we operating in a way that demonstrates respect for each other and that intentionally upholds at the very basic level dignity in our relationships with each other and do we have a baseline of safety and trust because if we do not we just simply cannot show up trust is what allows us to stay in something, in a job, in a relationship, in harmony with ourselves. And so I I think those are those are, it's not the year for lofty goal setting. It's not the year for achievement or even like growth. Like we're growing. It's pain. We're in pain. That's how we know we're growing. Like we're Plenty of that, plenty of growth. We don't have to be intentional about that; it's just happening. Um, it's a it's a time for upholding some basic things, some simple things, and being kind and giving each other a whole lot of grace.
0: I am wondering if you have a sense of what your well being, personal well being intentions are going to be for twenty twenty two for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for me. It's a continuation in some regard. Um, one is, and I'm, I'm, I'm using only things that are immediate gratifying. So, good strategy if you do care about like actual physical well being, don't pick a goal based on a body shape reason, like weight loss, weight maintenance, muscle tone, any of that. Cholesterol, even as a body shape reason, in some regards about the ways our bodies function. That doesn't reinforce any behaviors pick something that like is immediately um, you can immediately notice the effects of. So like sleeping better because you're exercising, you know, um, is, is an example. Or for me, I have scoliosis, a spinal, uh, genetic spinal um, abnormality. And so my back hurts almost all the time, unless I'm doing yoga every day. So yoga every day is an easy one for me because if I don't do it, I'm in pain. Um, So, but specifically Um, Mine are one, start every morning with meditation or some sort of mindfulness practice. So you don't feel like you're being dragged through snow by a pack of wild sled dogs all day. That is a big one for me. (laughs) Um, And then another one is figure out how to wind down at the end of the day without wine. And if anyone has any ideas for that. you
0: substitute a different... (laughs) drink yeah right or, okay. or whiskey no. or beer okay we've ruled them all out okay if anyone enough. has
1: anything interesting about adaptogens or whatever it is that's working for you um all ears for those things maybe i'll put kombucha in my wine glass <laughs>
0: My guest today has been Sarah Martin, CEO of the Wellness Council of America. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I guess it's appropriate to say at this point, given the airing, Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year, Stuart. It's always a pleasure talking to you, being in conversation with you. Appreciate all your great questions. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Sarah. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at Lives Radio Show. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives Radio Show and Podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community and more.